Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabono Podcast. I'm Moose Wakonga. I'm joined again by Ryan Hun and Michael De Silva. Hi, guys. Hey. Hello. <laughs> this week, we'll be discussing turning points, two clubs and a national league in a process of changing into something quite exciting and different, starting with Manchester United and Jose Mourinho's situation with Alexis Sanchez. So what do we think of that team? Well, it was another defeat for United. No, no Sanchez, which was the, uh, the headline grabber. No Lingard as well. It seems like... Uh, there's a little bit of revolt at United. The worst thing is when you said it's another defeat, I was, my first question was which defeat? Because we <laughs> lost the Derby in the Carabao Cup yeah. uh, and we lost to West Ham and both defeats were utterly deserved. Yeah, I mean, the performance against West Ham was, uh, was dire. It was so poor. Um, Pogba was withdrawn after an hour or so. There's just no inspiration, no ideas. The defence are not functioning um, De Gea looks utterly frustrated and um, no one seems to, I mean, I don't want to say he's lost the dressing room, but there doesn't seem to be much love for Mourinho. Yeah, if I was a United fan, the thing I'd be concerned about the most is not necessarily those two defeats in terms of the actual results. It's the fact that they've been outplayed in both both games by a championship club and a West Ham side who, you know, apart from the Everton game, have really struggled to click the season. Admittedly, they are getting a lot better but the team selection again I think we covered it when we after the Spurs game mm. where he decided to go three at the back with under Herrera as the third centre-back he played McTominay Scott McTominay played as a centre-back against West Ham mm. when there was no place for Bayer at all which is really baffling there are times I see there's a times I think to myself that Jose Mourinho has been cursed with being world-class at a job that he doesn't ultimately enjoy all that much because being a football man I mean I, some might say that's a bit dramatic but I look at his last few jobs and I think have you actually enjoyed this mm. you know, I, I, don't, I don't mean you know he wins things don't get me wrong. I know he wins I know he's great at winning but I don't see enjoyment he reminds me of when I used to work like you know back in the city days and we had a guy that worked in the mortgage securities department and he used to bill 3,000 hours a, a year and he and millions of pounds but he seemed to enjoy the grim process of winning, but not the actual, you know, and, and Mourinho doesn't seem to enjoy football. Mm. And I think if you look at the teams that are doing well, the managers enjoy football. They like, and Mourinho, there's 
if he's not winning for you, he's not doing anything else. Yeah. This is the big problem. Well, I think the only pleasure that Jose Mourinho has got in the last year or so is stopping Alexis Sanchez from joining Manchester City. Um, <laughs> he's been very good at that. And he, you know, and there's, there's no denying that he only signed Sanchez because um, he knew that City were that signing away from being unstoppable. I don't really blame Mourinho here in this this scenario. I blame what's going on above Mourinho because at the end of the day, they've got Alexis Sanchez, who they didn't pay any money for in terms of a transfer fee, but they lost Mkhitaryan, who was hardly a first team regular at that point. But they've made him the most uh, the the highest paid Premier League player. I'm going to be a bit less charitable than Ryan and not let Mourinho off so easily because although. United have structural problems. I agree with that, absolutely. Mourinho has still had money to spend and an elite coach should be getting far better out of that squad. Antonio Conte with the same players would be doing a much better job. Sarri with those players would be doing a much better job. I think that's, to me, that's unquestionable. They all would. The con- absolutely. The concern I have with United and the longer term problem is there are people who own that club and who run that club who don't actually like football. Yeah. And this is clear because if you actually liked football, you'd have a sense for how fans felt. You'd be on the forums, you'd be engaging people a bit better. You'd be, you know, you'd have an ear to the ground. But someone like Ed Woodward, you know, he he very much looks like a banker who is using United as an income stream for his clients. Absolutely. The Glazers are his clients and he is their banker and they're just making sure the money keeps rolling in. You've hit the nail on the head and United fans have been warning of this situation for what? How 13 long? years? Yeah, over a decade, definitely. The way that they're set up is to win now. And they're so far away from winning now. As a United fan, and this is coming from someone who supports a club who were really, really good and then had to go through a very long process of not winning something for a while. But there was a clear plan there. You know, it was moving to a stadium, pulling the kind of financial side of it in a little bit and playing youth players for a long time. And with United, I'm not sure. I mean, I can't speak. You're a United fan, so maybe, you you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. But I think if United fans saw a plan in place that meant, right, this is clear we're not going to win anything maybe for the next few years, but there's a process here. Like, you know, you've still got a really, really good crop of young players in that squad who aren't getting the development or the minutes that they probably need in order to fully flourish and they're not getting the coaching either so I think it would be a lot more palatable if they were like right we're going to remove these kind of like win now aspects of it and really put forward a plan so that we're going to seriously compete and I mean seriously seriously compete for a long sustained period of time in four or five six seasons time well this is the thing that's that's a great point I think there's now the astonishing gamble of potentially appointing Zinedine Zidane and I say, I say astonishing gamble because here's someone who obviously won three Champions Leagues, but had a squad that was basically like, you know, an, an elite, it's probably in, the greatest. Inher- inherited. I mean, it's probably the greatest squad we've seen, mm. probably the greatest squad we've seen, you know, in modern times and just in terms of sheer talent, technical ability for position for position. I mean, these are all time great players in almost every single position. Yeah, Zidane made a couple of tweaks here and there. Hamas Rodriguez was um, was let go. But ultimately, his role was to manage egos, um, not the, uh, well... The, the, train, the training ground minutiae, the, the, the nuances. If, if you appointed somebody like Sarri, and some might say this is, this is hindsight because of how he's done at Chelsea, but I, I, I was on this anyway. If you appoint someone who is like a Tuchel-type character, who is that surgical character who goes in and is forensic, 
you know, Tuchel going to United would give me far greater comfort mm-hmm. than Zidane going because Tuchel, you can see someone improve players. Zidane has done that with players mm-hmm. like Vasquez and so on. And his use of Rodriguez actually was quite courageous. The way he dropped Rodriguez, I think, for two finals was actually quite gutsy. Yeah. He does have guts. Yeah. But to bring Zidane and put him in charge of a squad mm-hmm. that is disintegrating. I mean, there was this incredible um, stat and they had they published a, a stat of the players who've been united the longest. And I won't name names because I don't want to sort of shame people. It doesn't seem fair. But I remember going, I remember thinking, th- these players should not have been united for that long. Mm. The most, the richest club in the world should not have players like this anywhere near mm. its squad, its first team squad. Mm. That's part of the problem. Not just the underinvestment, because big money's been spent on these players. It's just a complete lack of strategic planning and understanding of who is a good player. And who isn't a good player? It's it's real, really concern. Yeah, that's why United's next appointment. We're assuming that Mourinho will go, but it does seem that way. Um, I'm proud to say that I wrote a piece six weeks ago saying Mourinho should go. I got absolutely no hate for it online because I think I couched it in such polite terms. And you didn't post it. Well, <laughs> do you know what? Can I, can I just um, listen? Listen. Let, let me let me defend. Let me defend my honour. <laughs> It was posted on the ESPN FC site. I didn't tweet it. That's correct. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is the classical, like, yeah, I'll, left do, yeah, I'll the, do this piece for you. Left on the site. <laughs> you know what this is? I wish I could say it's fake news, but it's not. I wish I, Sorry, I, I, wish I could defend my honour, but I don't have any. Oh, that's yeah, de- that's, that is devastating. But, um, that is a classic. In, in serious news, whatever the next appointment is for United, it's so big. I agree. I think it's arguably bigger now than the, the appointment after Ferguson because they've not put in a serious title challenge since he left to finish second last season but they were never really in any danger of winning the league no one was apart from Man City and to have fallen away so dramatically they may still turn it around I mean you know we're only what six seven games in but still I I think the next one is key and I'm not entirely sure that a coach like Zidane is the right choice but then again it's such a hard one to gauge i mean would they go for someone you know like ralph hasenhuttle for example who they won't take like, chances no they won't no they'll, way. they'll go for a big they'll, they'll go, go for, for a Zidane. Big, yeah and it seems very reactive you know gary neville wrote a really good um tweet i think yesterday or um, just after the weekend saying that this started when they got rid of Moyes and it kick-started a chain reaction at i disagree level. no but that, can i say I, i'm sorry to jump in there but i disagree with neville on that i think he's being a real loyalist there because david Moyes should never have got the job and neville has consistently said that no one showed enough faith in Moyes; he could have turned around there was never any indication i'm not sure if that was it, what he was alluding to i think it was more that that it kick-started a chain of reactions that you of decisions that you saw at board level not necessarily Moyes in particular but right. that 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 has led to where they are now where they have someone who you know this gigantic personality in charge who is clearly losing his way and they're no real closer to being that force that they were when they when Moyes was in charge I mean it's their worst well people say it's their joint worst league start for 29 years but I think actually on goal differences they're worst it definitely feels like they're worst Mourinho has elevated United from where they were under Van, Van Gaal that is true um they finished second last year they weren't they weren't competing, as you said, but Mourinho does deserve some credit for restoring some kind of order because the club was in more disarray then than it even is now, I would say. But I think a series of poor decisions from the top is uh, hampering them. They just all have to step up. Like Mourinho, I think, is on his way out. Pogba, and you know, my love for Paul Pogba is well known, but just so disappointing. Pogba will stay so if Mourinho goes. The, the issue I have with Pogba, I will say this, is 
it just seems all so tactical and not strategic. You know, all the talk from the dressing room, Paul Pogba has just won a World Cup. If you've won a World Cup, the amount of leverage you have mm. in the dressing room, the amount of, you know, you know it, with the crowd, Paul Pogba could go out every game, play an eight out of 10, mm. everyone go, oh, are you leaving? Let's talk of Barcelona. So I'm focused on Manchester United. I came back here and my business is unfinished. Mm. He should say that after every match and just give Mourinho enough rope to kind of, you know, do whatever with. Mm. But instead he comes out, lets Minareola sound off, gives these kind of... You think to yourself, it's so strange because when Pogba played for France, he looked like an elder statesman. He looked like Paul Newman in Road to Perdition. <laughs> and you see him, you know, you see him like, you know, talk about, you know, it's like, it's like Macaulay Culkin. It's like, come on, dude, like... Where is the mature Pogba of the dressing room giving speeches before the Uruguay game and saying, you know, next round, let's do that. You know, where is that Paul Pogba that we saw in the summer? Yeah, is that anywhere in the dressing room though, really? You know, that's the thing. Who is the player to do that? I mean, is it Ashley Young? Is that why he's captain? You know, it's... it's That's extraordinary. Like, Ashley Young, and look, Ashley Young has outperformed, I think, almost all expectations in terms of his fullback role. But for Ashley Young to be anywhere near the Manchester United captaincy, is 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 part of the problem. He Ashley Young is basically a a player who was outperformed, but shouldn't be in that position. You should have players like Modric and Cruz in in those roles. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you know, they've got a couple of tricky games coming up as well. So, I mean, could, is this going to get worse? Is it going to get better? I mean, Valencia in the Champions League hasn't happened at the time of recording. Uh, I know there's. I think Lingard's not going to play for a quote unquote groin injury. He was also left out of the match day squad at the weekend. But there was no report of an injury then, I believe. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a tactical. The problem is actually it all looks tricky at the moment. I have to say it's I a mean, bit of a mess from from you know organisational level through to selection level. There's no you know, I mean, there's when was the last time uh, a United team was unchanged from the game before? I can't remember. Grim times, my friends. Grim times at Old Trafford. Well, with that in mind, let's uh, make a transition away. Thank goodness for me. Let's take a break, and after that, we'll be discussing. The Bundesliga. So we're back and we're talking Bundesliga. Exciting times in the Bundesliga. Yeah, thrilling times. It was um, it was a great, great weekend for the neutral. Um, I mean, the the big game of the weekend was actually um, Bayer Leverkusen versus Borussia Dortmund. Um, Dortmund were 2-0 down at halftime didn't really look like they were up to much and then just produced a thrilling fight back and the second half was was great by them um, Leverkusen just fell apart but Dortmund are now top of the league and I mean Marco Royce was fantastic in that game um, Jaden Sancho we saw some great stuff from him he came off the bench within one minute had assisted Royce's equaliser and Sancho now has five assists which is more than anyone else in Europe's top five leagues. And he's only played 124 minutes. Yeah, I don't think he's even started a game. No. Um, which is quite staggering. There was some stat about how that's actually a record, isn't it? Like in terms of stats per minute, in terms of the start to a season, yeah. it's a record, I think. Yeah, amazing. I can believe it. Yeah, quite amazing. And his um, his continued growth in the Bundesliga should be an example to English players um, young English players that are looking for a breakthrough. But yeah, I mean, Borussia Dortmund were great and they're now top of the league and the Bundesliga now has a different complexion because um, Bayern Munich were beaten for the first time this season. They lost 2-0 right here in Berlin on Friday night. It was a um, 
a stirring performance by Hertha, um, who are looking really good themselves. And it looks like, I mean, it's still extremely early days, but we could have a, uh, we could have some kind of title race this year. Let's hope. The Hertha are interesting, Ryan, because you've been keeping an eye on them for a while, haven't you? And their manager, who's done some pretty interesting things the last couple of years. Well, I think it's a, it's a club that you don't see a lot of coverage of outside of Germany. You know, um, a lot of people know about it. I mean, we've got, we, we're all from England and we have uh, a lot of friends back there who want to talk a little bit about Hertha, but they don't really know too much about like Pal Dardai, who, you know, is an expert uh, Hertha player who took over a few years ago. And they've, I mean, they've not been unbelievable in the last few years, but, you know, they, they only came back up in 2013, I think, right, from when they won Bundesliga's fight. Yeah. Apart from one year, they were a little bit close. I think it was Dardai's first year in charge. They've kind of solidified a little bit, you know, and I think he's someone who doesn't get talked a lot about in terms of managers in Germany. But yeah, they're looking good and they're kind of slowly, hopefully on a process to, you know, moving a little bit up into the higher end of the table. Yeah, I mean, Dardai's um, first full season, I mean, he took over as caretaker for a little while, his first full season in charge. They could even have made the Champions League places. Um, I think they eventually tailed off in the last couple of weeks of the season. But what was really interesting with him is that, I mean, he knows, as you said, Hertha inside out. He was a player there. He's a one-club man and he's only ever coached um, at club level, Hertha. Um, But he has built over three and a half years this really really solid foundation and so solid that it's incredibly dull sometimes yeah um it, it that's up until this season though um they've introduced they've got a couple of new signings and um a, a guy who's been there for a couple of years duda who hasn't uh, there was talk of him going in the summer because he hadn't really done it um he scored the second goal against Bayern and it was a fantastic goal and he's an example of a player who is really it's got that little bit more, more flair um so we're seeing a slightly different side from Hertha this season and Bayern to be quite quite honest had absolutely no answer yeah i think we spoke about Duda a few weeks ago and when he got that brace was it against leipzig i think he scored two against yeah, I think so, he yeah. only scored two goals last season and he's already got five and he's he's top scorer in the bundesliga at the moment which mm. Hertha having a top scorer you know after what five six games of the season is was pretty decent. Yeah, so I, I really like the kind of Diego Simeone approach of returning to a club that you played for and returning it to former glory. Mm. You know, building on a base of defensive strength, resilience, then kind of opening up with a bit more flair. This is very much what he did, you know, Simeone did at Atletico, on, obviously on a greater scale, but also sort of Juan Verón at Estudiantes, yeah. kind of restoring clubs. Because as we know, Hertha is a funny club because it's got this huge stadium yeah. In a city that doesn't necessarily go that wild about football all the time, <laughs> so it's it's really nice to them get their place in the. I sun. think it was quite um, important that because um, Dardai knows Hertha inside out, and his first target was to make sure that they didn't slip back down into the second league and to make them solid and hard to beat. And we saw it in the, something similar in the Premier League with with Burnley last season. They've just built on that defen- defensive solidity. Um, but now Dardai is uh, he's letting his hair down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean they yo-yoed for a bit, didn't they? I mean they went they came they went down and they won the Bundesliga two in 2011. Went down again in 2012. Won the Bundesliga two in 2013. And you know they've kind of been in the Bundesliga since. Mm. Talking about Manchester United earlier. Mm. On the flip side, this is a, a you know a very solid process for Hertha, and it's a slow process. Mm. And sometimes, as like Michael said, it hasn't been the most ex- exciting mm. you know two two top scorers in the top five 
or something at the moment. And, Very impressive. And they've got yeah. these two old men up front, you know, Ibisevic yeah. and Kalu, but they're still doing the business. I mean, Ibisevic, I think, is 34, Kalu 33. Um, but they've got such a great understanding. And it's that mixture between these kind of older, more experienced guys and then these new fresh blood and a bit more flair. It's a really nice balance there at the moment. And it's an exciting future for Hertha, actually. They've got a new stadium. I mean, you mentioned the stadium, but it's not a permanent solution. They've got a new stadium um, on the way. Um, Which will be smaller, I think. Right? Slightly, Yeah, it will actually be significantly smaller. I think it will be 50,000, um, but still quite big, right next to, on, on the old... Um, olympic park site so still very close to where they are at the moment um and yeah they've got they do have, i mean they do struggle to fill that olympia stadium for um for games that are not bayern and dortmund but they still have a significant fan base and they're a big club here in germany i think it'll be better for them that fifty thousand because they're actually i was checking their average attendance recently last season it was about 44 45 yeah it so really sells out really actually but that's a great you know but you get a stadium for 50 and reduce a couple of prices, you could fill that. And the atmosphere is so much better. Exactly. And cl- you think of clubs like Newcastle in England, they have that average attendance and, you know, they're uh, they're considered one of the best supported clubs in England. Yeah, I mean, Juve did it a few years ago, moving from the Deli Alpi to, well, what is it, the Allianz Stadium mm-hmm. now. Just smaller stadium, better atmosphere. I think for a club like Hertha, I think that will be really, really impactful because yeah. the Olympia Stadion, Stadion can be very cold, very cavernous and not the best place to watch football. Before we move on from the Bundesliga completely, um, Schalke, they picked up their first win finally, uh, six games in. Um, Tedesco was starting to come under a little bit of pressure. Um, I don't think there was any serious danger of him being fired, but um, he did need that first win. They got it against Mainz. And um, yeah, they're up and running. Leipzig won as well. Um, so they're back in, in the groove. I think that's two in a row for them. They beat Hoffenheim, right? Yeah, big win. Hoffenheim. The Nagelsmann derby. Yeah, exactly. I guess in some ways uh, he couldn't lose there. To be fair to Schalke, though, haven't they been playing quite good football with that end product? Kind mm. of, yeah. They were a bit unlucky in their last game. They played well in the first half, didn't put away a few chances and then got brutally punished. But um, but they're not the, they've not the, been the most fluid dynamic oh no not kind of side under tedesco and i think that when 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 the results are happening it's bearable and i think that a few well, maybe even one more and i think it would have been very touch and go whether he it's um yeah it's pragmatic football under tedesco um it's not always the best to watch but can get results so let's talk arsenal ryan lots of interesting things happening there emery's got them uh back and towards winning ways, I suppose, and the Aaron Ramsey contract saga is rumbling on. Yeah, um, Ramsey, for those who don't know, hadn't signed a new contract, his deal's up at the end of the season. And uh, I think it was David Ornstein reported at the back end of next week, maybe uh, last week, sorry, Thursday or Friday, that there was an agreement in place between the club and the player, um, which was then taken off the table by Arsenal, which is quite strange. Um, there's been a lot of speculation about the timing and why it was taking off the t- taken off the table. Um, maybe it was something to do with Gazidis leaving for AC Milan, uh, Arsenal's chief executive. Um, whether Gazidis leaving meant that Emery voiced more of opinion, whether he mm. thought Ramsey was worth the money that they were offering. I don't know how much the offer was, but I imagine that um, because of the Ozil 
situation last season, which was very similar. And a lot of people expected him and Alexis Sanchez to leave at the end of last season. Ozil signing a new deal, which I think is reportedly 350 grand a week. Wow. Um, Eye-watering. Um, I think that Ramsey wanted somewhere close to that. And I'm a little bit on the fence in terms of uh, how I feel about it, because I think it's clear now that he will bar something miraculous in January he will probably go for free at the end of the season. And, you know, he's totally, I, I totally would if I was in his position. He's always made um, a lot of noises about wanting to play in Europe at some point through his career. Uh, he's 27 now, he'll be 28 this year, I think. Well, Arsenal are going to want to sell him in January, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, you want to get something back yeah. for him. Um, it makes you wonder why there wasn't more action taken in the summer to move him on if it was clear that he wasn't probably going to sign a contract. Well, that's what indicates to me that there's definitely been some kind of sea change that you referred to there in the last week or so with Gazidis heading off and maybe Emery somehow getting some more control and having the, um, perhaps, he. it seems to me that he has a plan in place um, and Ramsey's clearly not part of that. Well, he, uh, early on in the season, Rams, I mean, Ramsey was on the bench for the Chelsea game, for example, away. Um, he was taken off a lot earlier in games than Arsene Wenger took him off. If um, Wenger rarely took him off, actually. So I wonder, I mean, there's been a massive change at Arsenal. I think this is something not to be overlooked. I mean, mm. huge changes at operational level across the board from, you know, there's now uh, Raul Sané is in charge of football. He's the ex-Barcelona director of football um, with Gazidis moving. There's a new... Uh, chief of commer like commercial operations as well. You have Sven Mislintat, who's the head of recruitment, ex-Dortmund. Hasfami, who's ex-Team Sky, who's in at the legal team. And, you know, a lot of the backroom staff left with Wenger. Um, so there's been massive, massive changes. And I think that, not wanting to segue too quickly, but I think one of the plus side is that, you know, bar the first two games of the season, which were very, very tricky games at home to Man City and away to Chelsea, seven wins on the bounce, while still not looking anywhere near settled as a as a team or a unit yet I think is is quite positive and with Ramsey I think that one thing if we're going to move into like the performance side of stuff with Arsenal it seems to me that Emery likes him further forward mm. um, and unfortunately I don't think it works quite with him and Ozil playing in that three behind the striker it's just it's, Ozil's had to move out left or right and Ramsey's been playing central and on Saturday for example when Ramsey went off and Awobi came on, not for one second suggesting that Awobi is a better player than Ramsey, but Awobi wide and Ozil central gave Arsenal instantly more balance, which led the, to the two goals. Just seems Watford. like he doesn't fit into the plans and that happens in football. Mm. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I know Ramsey is a very divisive player for a lot of people and he gets a lot of stick and, well, a lot of abuse online, which I think is, is pathetic, to be honest, because I think he's always come across as a hardworking guy. He's never really made any noises. He's never really been problematic. Mm. He, he, you, you could never once question his, um, his commitment or prom professionalism. He's yeah. scored two winning goals, in, well, a winning goal in two FA Cup finals. Mm. Um, you know, had a horrific injury at 19, 20 years old. Mm. And I think to to make it back from that to be the player that he is now is Outstanding for Wales, better than Bale in the Euros. Yeah. 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 More um, influential. Yeah. Mm. And, um, you know, we've kind of spoke a lot about recently about British players going abroad. And I, I think that if Ramsey goes in the summer on a free, I think there's going to be some really, really big clubs after him. Yeah. I was going to say that, actually. I would love Ramsey to go to... Uh, 
the continent for two reasons. One is selfish. The selfish reason being, if he goes to Liverpool, then we are in real trouble because <laughs> Ramsey under Jurgen Klopp would be, I think, terrific. I think he would that, bring out... That could happen. I think that would be... I think he would be extraordinary under yeah. Jurgen Klopp. I think he'd be unbelievable. Yeah. I think he's a wonderful player and I love him. And I think I'd love to see Ramsey go somewhere like Dortmund, actually, mm. um, to give them a shot in the arm or Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think they need to sew together that midfield. That midfield is an absolute mess. And funnily enough, this is not to get too much onto the Pogba situation, but if Pogba goes to Barcelona, I think he's going to struggle a lot more than people think. Well, this is, um, you know, kind of wasn't on our list to talk about, but Barcelona, uh, people aren't really talking about, they're struggling at the moment and they have not figured out a way to replace Iniesta, even though he wasn't playing as anywhere near the minutes that he was playing last season, mm. uh, the season before, sorry. Mm or has been over the years. But mm. actually, Ramsey's not a passer and Iniesta wasn't just a passer. People kind of think of him and Javi as just pure tiki-taka, but actually Iniesta's a dribbler. Break lines. And, and Ramsey likes to break lines with the ball at his feet. And yeah, I mean, there's no point Barcelona even trying to replace him. I mean, there's some no, players sure. that you just can't... Um, but you but reconfigure could, the midfield, exactly, don't you? you reconfigure. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. from even, a tactical point of view, I think someone like Ramsey slots in there and actually gives them something that they've... Been, they haven't really had this season. Well, you were talking of turning points, just a general theme for the podcast, and Barca are in a difficult position because Messi is playing out of his skin. I mean, his numbers, even though he's had a couple of dips after a couple of games, Messi's playing out of his skin this year, but the dependency on him is absolutely brutal. That midfield just doesn't seem to have control. And, you know, this season, Barca are really going, I think, for the Champions League in a big way, but that's going to hurt them because, I mean, look, they're competing in a season where Real look revigorated with the sale of Ronaldo. Juve look good with Ronaldo now providing assists. Bayern have, I think, the domestic competition that's going to really set them up well for a Champions League run. It's an exciting Champions League and they don't seem that well equipped, I think, for it tactically yet. Yeah, I think what we're seeing from Barca at the moment is that they haven't had a, um, you know, no disrespect to the teams that they've played, but they haven't had a really big game to kind of ignite them yet. I mean, they rested Messi and a few players on on the weekend um, against Athletic Bilbao. And um, I think they, yeah, I think that, I think they've got a Classico coming up in a few weeks. And I think that that will be a really, really big test to see where they're at. Yeah. Having mentioned uh, Ronaldo in relation to the Champions League, it would be remiss not to mention the resurfacing of sexual assault allegations against him brought by Der Spiegel a couple of years ago, and they've returned now to prominence. There are great places to check out further discussion of these issues. I think uh, Second Captain's podcast has done a great segment on it. Um, yep, the journalist who wrote the piece for Der Spiegel, his name escapes me, sorry about that. He was um, on yesterday's episode and also a really good um podcast to check out is the unusual efforts podcast which is um right. kirsten Schlevitz and um jackie low uh, sorry jesse losh um they did a, a whole episode about it yesterday and yeah i recommend it's a very good listen it's yeah. you know um something that is obviously very troubling and um we can't i don't think talk too much about mm. stuff here because it's uh, i think it's actually the case is being reopened now by right. las vegas police yeah. um but the um yeah read the dish beagle uh, piece on it it's it's in english as well good to see these issues being ex- explored fully and um i hope there's a speedy a speedy resolution um, yeah. it seems like something's dragged on for a while mm. um but yeah glad it's glad it's being aired michael anything else in the world of football on a lighter note that's going on uh, we're seeing 
Can I just throw in? Can I just say? Can I say? Spurs' new ground has got grass now. Well, so almost. Was... <laughs> the grass has arrived. <laughs> the gra- yes, we saw you looking at pictures on your phone. Very excited. <laughs> the turf being laid. Yeah. Sorry to shame you. Yeah, I'm quite excited about that. Can I say as well? I'm just um, desperate to get away from Wembley. He's actually got it as his background picture. Oh, come on. On, his, on his phone. Don't and can just, I also can throw this in as well? Because, sorry, sorry to be rude, but I have to say this because whenever United get defeated, it's always framed as crisis for the club. And people often don't give credit to the club that beat them. So I want to give credit to West Ham because they had a great win of Macclesfield in the Carabao Cup, 8-0. And the 3-1 win is part of a trajectory of improvement for them. And like, that has to be said. You know, we often talk about United being in crisis, but it's also the clubs at West Ham improving. Shout out to Wolves as well. Another win, I think five unbeaten now against Southampton, which is really great. Everton pulling it back against Fulham, who are struggling themselves, but good to see Everton returning to some kind of form. Well, we did a podcast... Was it the first or second one we said we were really worried about West Ham? Because right. they did look in deep, deep trouble. Yeah. And uh, I'm kind of pleased that um, they've turned around. Um, maybe some kind of... They had a few tactical shifts. Um, you know, Declan Rice has been playing at midfield a little bit, which is really good. Rice was really impressive. He's been great. He was yeah. good against Everton as well. Yeah. I'm just really impressed with how West Ham kept their heads after that terrible start. I mean, it was a, a really tough start against some top teams but it could have all just fallen apart but Pellegrini is a kind of guy you want in uh, in a crisis you know he's not um he's not going to lose his head or anything but he Wilshire uh, was in the team in those early games and I think he got injured but he's yeah. not um he's not getting back into that team no they look a lot more balanced they look a lot more steady uh, I think Pellegrini gave him an extra few days off after I think it was their fourth defeat on the bounce and um I think that seemed to have shifted a lot mm. of the attitude and kind of turned it all a bit more positive and Yarmolenko was wearing shirts that fit him so uh, <laughs> that's where the key the key change was well I just want I want to also just say a note of respect to coaches who try something and have their methods proved right over time because it must be so difficult those first few games when you're playing you're losing matches and it's not quite clicking and then people are trusting in the methods. You know, Emery is still working on stuff, but they're trusting him. The players trust him. West Ham, they're turning things around. And you look at, again, with Derby beating United in the Carabao Cup. And again, a real reward for Lampard's methods. They're doing all right, actually, in the championship. But the way they played at Old Trafford, they just came out, you know, Tom Wilson playing their football, was really great to see. And also Darren Moore in the championship, West Brom top. And, you know, sticking with him after, I mean, he did a fairly good job. A great job. I mean, yeah, even though they went job. down last season. But he's really got them going. And um, I think Jay Rodriguez came out and said something, how, you know, was praising him and his attitude right. to the players and, and stuff like that. And that's really, that's really good to see. You know, Burnley did that with um, with Sean Dyche when they got relegated and stuck with him. And he was never, they said he was never in danger of losing his job and he got them back up. And now they're kind of uh, reaping that reward, you know. And um, I, was, I spoke to a friend of mine yesterday who's a Huddersfield Town fan. And he was saying that, even though they're struggling and they are struggling, they can't score goals and they don't really seem to have taken a step forward after solidifying last season in the Premier League. All the noises are that they will stick with David Wagner, whether they go down or not. So it's good to see in a way that, that, that there's that kind of faith in the managers. And yeah, and it puts the onus on the players. Yeah, definitely. Know? Yeah, and, you know. Maybe I'm jumping in here uh, with, with a sort of a premature thought, but maybe we're in an era where people are valuing coaches like we valued elite strikers, elite players, because hanging on to a guy like Chris Hewton, hanging on to a guy like Eddie Howe, you know, Bournemouth doing really, really well in the Premier League right now, looking really good, bouncing back from the loss mm-hmm. against uh, Burnley, having 
defeated, I think, Leicester 4-2 before that, and they bounced back with a wing against Crystal Palace. Eddie Howe's doing very well. And I want to sort of mention as well, Chris Hewton's part of that, because Brighton have had some really great results. And even their 2-0 defeat against Man City, they were incredibly streetwise to the extent that City really had to work to break them down. Even against Spurs, you know, they, they kind of were good and they caused Spurs a few problems and, you know, could have could have grabbed a point from that game as well. They're now becoming a team that you you don't really want to go to, actually, um, for 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 a big club, which I think is if you're a Premier League side and you're and you want to establish yourself as a Premier League regular, I think becoming somewhere that's hard to go to is 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 a really good sign. They're almost like the new West Brom, not in, in the footballing terms, Brighton, yeah. because they play a different type of game, but in terms of that resilience and in the terms of maximizing resources. And just a supremely well-coached team. Whenever people came away from playing West Brom, they'd be like, that team has coached so well. And I think a similar thing, you've got more flair Brighton, but when you come away from playing Brighton, you've been in a game, mm. whoever you are. Yeah, definitely. Before we wrap up, we should talk a little bit about the Champions League. Um, some big games coming up this week. Um, Sorry, man, all my, my eyes are on Carabag Arsenal on Thursday. <laughs> so all this is just yeah, a so warm-up. Long, long trip for you guys. I'm not going. All right. but, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll be sat at home watching it from... Any games exciting you, Michael? Uh, Tottenham Barcelona. Ooh. Goodness me! That's on Wednesday night. Um, Bayern Ajax is my nostalgic fave of the week. Yeah, glorious. Um, just looks nice written down. <laughs> Can I just the quick Hugh McAvaney quote about the Champions League draw from years ago? I want to use it this time. He said, "A Champions League draw so sizzling it could have been made with an oven glove." <laughs> <laughs> Tottenham Barca Bayern Ajax. That's pretty pretty strong. Yeah, that's nice. Napoli Liverpool. That's um, on Tuesday night. That's in should, Napoli, right? Yeah, that should be a really good game. Um, and also, I, it's, it's worth mentioning as well that um, Monaco returned to Dortmund, which of course. Um, was a, a fateful game back in 2017 when um, uh, the, a bomb went off on the, right. the, the Dortmund bus. So that would be an emotional, um, an emotional game for both teams because it wasn't that long ago. And most of the many of the players will still be there. So yeah, Musa, looking forward to Man United Valencia. No, <laughs> no, and, it, uh, look, and I, I shouldn't say this because it's unprofessional and it's maybe not you know the best the best fans approach. But I just don't enjoy. I don't look forward to Manchester United games at the moment. I approach them with a sense of dread. Um, I hope we do well. I hope that Luke Shaw continues to be as brilliant on the pitch as he's been outspoken off it. He's been terrific this year for us and he's taken a leadership role. I love what he said against West Ham, saying that we were horrendous, we were awful. I love how he's now got the confidence to be a spokesman and he is the bright spot of the season. So if nothing else, I look forward to watching him. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Well said. Gentlemen, once again, it's been a pleasure. Despite my club being an ailing state, the state of football in general, I think, is, is pretty good, actually, considering the Dim and Gloom podcast we had last week, <laughs> the future, the end of football, the end of history. No, j- joking aside, great to speak to you as ever. Thanks, Thank you so much, audience, for joining us. You can find us on all social media platforms, at Mag or wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 
Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.